Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Oligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Henry Van Egan or Henri von Egen, if we're going to go by his Dutch name who was the co-chief executive officer of the Synergos Institute when we did this interview. And Synergos has been around for more than 30 years. They connect philanthropists from across the globe. They learn from each other. They connect to great local leaders and organizations. They bridge leadership and embrace collaboration. So for anyone who's interested in the world of philanthropy and especially the world of collaborative philanthropy, I would highly encourage you to stay tuned because you're in for a treat with a wonderful chat today. So, Henry, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you. It's great to have you on the show. So you're out there in New York and I'm here in the UK in London. Why don't we start by finding out a little bit about Synergos or the Synergos Institute? What's it all about? Well, Senegal's Institute um, now exists for 35 years. It was started by David Rockefeller and his daughter, Peggy Delani. And when they started it out 35 years ago, they really wanted to conceive an organization and a place where philanthropists could meet and learn from each other and become active participants in society with the wealth that they have. And so where do you operate? Because you're not just out there in the States. No, we're definitely not in the States. I would even even argue that our office uh, in New York is more of a service office. Um, we have people sitting in, in, a, in about 16 countries or so, uh, all, part of the, all part of the network. So you mentioned a little bit about your origins. Are you funded through uh, the generosity of foundations and philanthropists? Is it a membership structure? How do you operate? How do you become a and ensure you're a sustainable venture? Yes, it's a, well, it's a, it's a combination. So um, as said, we have philanthropists from about 34 countries who are member of the Synergos Institute. Um, they are members, so they pay a membership fee. So that's one area of income. The other areas of income are organizations which want to promote the work that is done within Synergos, which may be what we call collaborative communities. And those collaborative communities could be around food systems. It could be around the need for greater dialogue. And I think most of us uh, would agree that at this moment, uh, the world is full of polarization and we need to really bridge those different divides if we want to have a more peaceful world. Um, and we have a whole group involved around climate work. Um, but it may be also something around spiritualization. So we have a large group who is very active around how to connect their philanthropy with their spiritual journey. And so around that, we also have foundations and others who uh, fund those processes and get, get togethers. So they are part of, of the income that the organization is generating. And the third area is that um, today we still have some offices abroad which are running programs and that has program income. Gotcha, gotcha. And now the, the, the people who are the members of Synergos, are they generally individual 
individuals or families or literally the whole organization joining you or it depends mostly it's families who who join us but typically what we find is that within the family one or two uh, members of the family are particularly active within our um, within our what we call global philanthropy circle so so um, it might be more people at some point it may be more and then from some countries we find really that it's just one single person who runs maybe a family foundation and who set it up and he or she is particularly active within the global philanthropy circle so it really depends and it's probably culturally bound as well mm -hmm. however we encourage of course to have family participation and also multi-generational participation so that we have a younger generation who is interested to become part of transforming the world through their philanthropy let me ask you on that specific point that next generation younger generation next gen whatever you want to call it but it seems such a such a hot topic these days and i'm seeing more events more literature more research on this over the last 30 coming up to 40 years uh, what 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 are you seeing in terms of the mindsets in terms of the way people are embracing philanthropy and tackling the sustainability agenda how does that differ today and these and and the younger demographic versus the older generations i think i'm incredibly encouraged by a younger generation which is far more involved in what's happening in the world around them and you know i can compare to myself when I was in my 20s and what were sort of key things that I was thinking of at that time as I was either embarking on a university uh, or on a career and and I think at that time my thinking was mostly around you know when am I going to get my first lease car where can, where can I get my next promotion uh, what's the possibilities of working in different countries and so on and so forth and I think when you interview young people now as they embark on their career or are already slightly on a career path, they ask questions around your involvement around sustainability, your involvement around social causes, your involvement around climate issues, all the things that we see around us, which are really uh, very pertinent in terms of needing attention. And, and I'm very encouraged with the younger generation, which really wants to be part of that. So, so we encourage that as Synergos to have that younger generation involved, having conversations and getting wisdom into the room, because that's also what it is. It's a journey also for a young person, a journey to listen, to see, to absorb what is happening around, around them. Uh, and then to actually, from that, think about what is their own contribution to change on climate or change on food systems or whatever it may be. How receptive are those who have been around philanthropy for 40 years to the ideas and the different approaches of those who are just getting into it? Is it a very uh, welcoming environment, eager to learn, or are there certain entrenched views where you say, well, yeah, that's fine, I get it, the younger generation thinks like that, but don't discard A, B, or C because it served us well before. And I think there too, and, and this is central to Synergos' work, it's about bridging and it's about bridging these generations um, as well to, to realize the, the impatience that is there when you're young and you see things. And maybe there's some anger there as well about what's happened uh, 
And let's be honest, um, you know, over the past two generations, um, we've probably done more damage to this world than in all generations pre previous to that. So that there is a certain level of impatience and anger with the younger generation uh, about what's happening around the world, I can understand that. At the same time, we do need that bridge. We do need to live on the wisdom of our older folk. And I think, you know, when you, when you go into developing countries, that wisdom of the elderly is still so much prevalent. And, and I think that combining that with that creativity and innovation and renewal and energy that you find with the younger generation, when you bring these two together, you're going to be creating much more than either uh, the two generations would do by themselves. Now, you mentioned you have members from 34 different countries, and you also touched on the fact that, you know, you have cultural dynamics. You know, you have folks from, 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 from different backgrounds, different cultural contexts. Um, as you know, in different cultures, the way the older generation is viewed, is revered, respected, or, or otherwise, it varies, right? The West, the East, there's differences. Uh, are you finding that reflected within your own membership base and within your own internal discussions? Um, I'm sure it's right what you're saying. And at the same time, it can just be. And it's a right to just, just be. I mean, we have members from China, from Japan, from Australia, from Russia, uh, from European countries, South American countries, and so on. So we have, a and Africa as well, we have an incredibly diverse group of people who are member of Synergos. Um, but the diversity is what we really also um, really enjoy. So, so I think when we have, let's say, a Chinese member, he, he or she really enjoys being part of that larger international community. And a prerequisite of being part of an international community is, of course, that you listen and look at different cultures and pick up different things from different, uh, different cultures as you go. Now, what I can say is that most of our philanthropists are also people who've been running larger companies and so on and so forth. So they have an incredible exposure already to uh, working within an international um, environment. So I think it's more enriching than anything else. On that last point regarding uh, your members, many of whom are running large companies, are you seeing a greater involvement of, of the corporate side, as it were, to achieve the social goods, whereas perhaps pre before it was more about that individual philanthropist in the checkbook? Are you seeing now the corporates not only being involved in corporate philanthropy, but actually having the sustainable business models, as it were, being aligned and leveraged to achieve certain goals? Well, I think it's sort of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a combination. We, we have members who are not running large, large organizations or haven't run large organizations, but maybe have uh, family wealth. And, and with that family wealth, they are doing things. But I think for all of our members, there's the realization that there are some really serious issues in today's world. And whether that is on inequities, on social justice, or around climate, or around the way we treat our food systems, our animals, and so on and so forth. On a whole wide array of, of issues, I think uh, all are realizing that something really needs to be done. And it's about getting active, 
and seeing ways in which you can contribute to that. So I think that's very much what it is at the moment. Okay, okay. And so if somebody joins Synergos, um, irrespective of where they might be in, on the planet, um, what happens? So hello, welcome, I'm a new member. What do I get? How do I start getting acquainted with the, the peer group? How do I start learning? How do I start sharing my own insight? I think the first thing is for us to listen. And that is to listen to that potential member or prospect and to understand where he or she is coming from or the family is coming from. What are some of the issues that are, are driving uh, that particular person? And then from there on, as we have a deeper understanding of the person or the family that is behind it, from there on, we can start building and building blocks as well. So um, in one case, it may be somebody who has just recently become wealthy, sold a company or inherited or, or whatever, and hasn't been on a philanthropic journey uh, at all or not in any serious way. Well, that person would need a journey that is from the very beginning. So peer learning is very important part of that. So we would help and accommodate that. We have others who have their own foundations, have their own uh, work that they're doing and want to become part of a community. They bring with them an incredible rich uh, amount of experience from maybe the education field or from other fields that they bring within the network. And maybe they've already been doing so for 10 or 15 years or, or even longer. So we have a very diverse background of members, but the ethos and the values are very similar. So you get to learn about your new members and your existing members. So you get to learn about them and it's a, it's an iterative process. Uh, it's not just a, a one-way conversation. I know when you and I spoke a while back and, and even uh, earlier today, you, you mentioned a bit about your, your new strategy and, um, and how you're really looking to connect you know, uh, the philanthropist to, to local leaders. And again, I think this resonates a little bit from what you mentioned earlier about listening. Perhaps you can shed some light onto all of that. So I think what Synergos has been doing in the past, um, but in a more organic sort of way it has happened, is connecting philanthropists to uh, work on the ground or actually people on the ground. So I think that has been that has been happening already for the past 35 years. Now, as we developed a new strategy last year, we're building on that strength and, and saying, okay, can we become more systematic around it? Of course, it's partly because there's a demand and an ask from our philanthropists to move into creating a space where we can have great conversations and learning from each other to becoming more action-oriented as well. And I think Synergos brings with it a huge network encompassing many countries and places, local leaders, specialists, people with who bring in a lot of wisdom and expertise. And so we're saying, let's let's bring these different groups together. So let us let a, a, a philanthropist really interested in working in the Amazon really connect him or her to local leaders. And when you do that, you cannot just jump into action. Even though we all know there are great needs in the Amazon, which have repercussions on the whole world, 
But before you can do that, we first need to have that deeper conversation, have that deeper understanding, so that when we are in that space, we're there as equal human beings, wanting to learn from local wisdom, from local leaders, really deeply listen to that, really try and deeply understand that. And maybe the other way around too, for, for the local leader to really understand where does the philanthropist come from? What is his worldview? What is his or her way of looking at it? And what can we do uh, in the end together? And um, we believe this is an essential part before you even think of getting into any action modus. Because how often does it happen uh, in our world that, that we uh, do something and then a year later we find out that things are not running all that well. And when we go back to where we started, it was that we all had a different way of looking where the solution was going to be. And that, again, did not start from a deeper understanding from each other and a sort of building of respect for where each in that particular ecosystem comes from. And we feel that's an essential element in actually getting to any kind of action modes. And, and it's to prevent really from ending up building what I would call two, two sandcastles and really start thinking, well, what is, what, what's the definition of a sandcastle? What does success look like for us? What does change look like for us? And really define that. And as you define that and look at also in a systemic way, what are the leaders, what are the people within that system who need to be part of that change, then collectively and collaboratively um, really start doing the work. And I cannot emphasize more how complicated collaboration is. We talk about it. It's a buzzword everywhere. But in most cases, when you analyze it, it is really looking for a partner to join the work that you're doing. Well, that's not collaboration. Collaboration is you're going to give up something of yourself in order to create space for others to come and enter. And that's a different dynamic because we don't usually like to give up anything. We think we're doing the right thing. It's good to, um, to hear you touch on collaboration. And it's a topic very close to my heart. And I know that there's a lot of innovation happening in that space, different collaborative models. Some are more arms at distance. Uh, other, other ones are closer, uh, more integrated. Uh, but I but it tacks on to something that I want, wanted to ask you about in terms of how do you identify those local leaders? So let me give you a two-pronged question. One is, how do you identify those local leaders? Does somebody tell you, look, I'm interested in doing gender uh, or education or climate in this area, and then you go and benchmark who those partners might be conceivably? And then also, if somebody says, look, I do have a collaborative spirit in me, and I'd like to find other partners or do you help them structure that collaborative um, venture? What does it all look like? So how do you identify the leaders and how do you look at collaborative models? Well, let's start with the last. I mean, there are different collaborative models. So, so that, would, that would take another podcast probably. Uh, but but, in, um, but what, it, what, what we do do is, of course, facilitate. So when these conversations take place, 
when these deeper dives take place, that needs to be well facilitated. And there are lots of different ways of doing it. And we have some fabulous people within our organization who really know how to facilitate and, and help to do a good systems analysis and help to do and look into collaboration and help to see how each um, leader within the system uh, is on a journey and how they can actually start to connect to each other. And, and that sort of key work, we call it bridging leadership, which is really about bridging these different leaders together and seeing where our own role is and where our own value add, you could say, is within the system. And then to see how you can then actually really work towards system change. So that's sort of really deep going into collaborative models. Now, over time, if we if we address, you know, how do we how do we get to local leaders? Um, over time, Senegos has set up an, a large network. We call them senior fellows. That there are people within within our network. So if if a philanthropist comes with a question, and I'll give an example, we we had one person um, uh, who who asked us, could could we help? He works within the juvenile prison system within a country in Europe, and 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 he said, well, you know, I'd really uh, like to develop a, a system and see how I could work in Colombia with the juvenile uh, prison system. So at that point, we kind of look at, okay, who do we know there? What are the people that he should talk to? And then we'll arrange for that to happen. And then the conversation starts, and then, of course, it's the same thing, that's sort of sensing and finding out, so that you can actually move into action at some point. And that, that sort of process is something yeah, that, that is not unique probably to Synergos, but it's certainly really uh, essential in making things work. And sometimes the, the network may be actually within our philanthropists, right? We have uh, we, we, one of our philanthropists does a tremendous work on uh, education for employment in, in the whole um, Arab world, the MENA region. Um, so that organization has a tremendous network. We have a tremendous network as well. So when we put that on top of each other, we do some mapping, we realize actually that we're incredibly well connected in many different places. Then it is about how to bring these people together, right? And how to, how to connect them to each other. In a timely way, right? Yes, in a timely way. And, 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 and questioning and asking. Um, so if, if I know somebody in Algiers um, uh, who is in the education area, uh, works in the education or maybe affiliated to the education area, I'll give her a call and say, hey, you know, I have somebody who is really interested potentially working in Algiers. Could this philanthropist talk to you and and see what, what could happen there? So, and this, I'm just giving this as an example, but but that's really how it works. And, and I think, you know, when we use our networks um, to the full extent possible, and networks means that overlaying networks I mean, if I would look at your network, Alberto, it's probably huge, right? You have huge connections everywhere. And it's if I would pose you a question or an issue, your mind will probably start working and think, oh, maybe you should talk to Mary and John and uh, Hisham over there. And then it's about connecting those dots together um, and having that creative space. And, and things happen. People are willing to, to help. 
I've hardly ever had a situation where someone said, no, no, I'm really not interested. I will not talk to him or to her. It just hardly ever happens. So. Absolutely. And I have to say there are very few things on this planet that are more rewarding than being able to connect the dots, being able to introduce people and, and, and seeing those new relationships come to fruition and lead to something really positive. Absolutely. So without getting too much into the nitty gritty, you have some of the expertise from your membership base who are doing amazing things ar across a range of themes. You have some of these fellows and these external sort of friends, I guess, of Synergos who, who are also a valuable resource. Do you also have a staff of consultants or in-house people who are who are doing some of this? We have some people who, can, who do the facilitation and we have people who are experts on our bridging leadership approach and so on. So, so there is a, so there is a body of knowledge on that within the organization. However, um, the way that we're organized is that we have a lot of people that we can lean on to. Um, whether it is um, uh, somebody who runs a Mexican uh, university and has been involved with Synergos for a long time and is absolutely an expert on systems thinking. So we would not necessarily need to have somebody on our payroll, which I think is an old-fashioned way of thinking anyway, but really sort of think who within the network know what we're doing and what is the ethos and what is the way we're working so we can call upon them and ask, hey, we've got a piece of work here. Uh, would you get involved in that? Would you help there? And, and that happens too across countries. So this same person, it's actually a person in Mexico. So he will come along to the Philippines where we do um, a, a whole workshop with three, 400 people around systems change and bridging leadership. And, and so we will get people from different countries and that's exciting. Uh-huh, absolutely. And let me ask you about your own personal narrative or trajectory or journey. How did you end up where you are today? Um, I've been influenced by the African continent because our family has always been involved in that. Where it was by having uh, students from Tanzania or Tanganyika, as it was called at that time, living in our home during Christmas because they were studying in the Netherlands agriculture and they couldn't go home for Christmas. So our doors would be opened and, you know, I'd be sleeping in, in my bedroom with three other people uh, who were students and I was eight years old. Well, that's a pretty exciting thing when you've got these young 21 or 22-year-olds sleeping in your own room and you, and you have a Christmas, which, of course, is going to be a very African Christmas, um, uh, and so you're influenced influenced by that. So so no doubt that that's a that's a major element for me is open doors, letting people come into your space and sharing and celebrating together. So that's always been part of part of my life. Now I worked most of my life actually in the corporate world, and then at some point was challenged by a searcher to join the non for profit world, and I ex and I accepted. So that's what I did, and and uh, that's been an exciting exciting journey. Um, as a family, um, we became also a member of the Global Philanthropy Circle of Senegos, probably about nine years ago or something like that. And about four years ago, um, as I got to know Peggy Delani, um, she approached me and said, 
Henry, are you maybe interested to come to New York and actually help run Synergos? And uh, then I had to uh, talk to my wife first. Uh huh. Very uh, important. To, to see, because we were living in France at the time, to see whether a move from uh, the countryside in France, just outside Geneva, to uh, the cosmopolitan city of New York uh, would be a possibility. Uh, and of course, in the end, that's what we did. So we moved We moved here about three and a half years ago and have really enjoyed living, living in New York and being part of this uh, amazing organization and, and seeing how, how it can grow and how it can become even more impactful over the coming years. Excellent. So are you now a New Yorker for the long term or are you, uh, you still? Uh... What, what's what's long term and what's geography? I've lived in 14 countries uh, in my life. So uh, no doubt there'll be another country still coming up or two. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I try to live more in the moment. So I'm living where I am now and not working so much about what's happening tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Um, and I think the more we live in the now, the more meaningful life becomes too, because it's the only life, and that is right now. It's not tomorrow. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't need to do any planning. It doesn't mean we have, don't have to visualize where, where things may go. But I think learning to live very much in the moment, I think, is, uh, has been an enrichment in my life and part of a process that I've gone through in the last 10 years. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, I was going to ask you for a key takeaway. Perhaps that was it. But in case it wasn't, what would be that, that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to, uh, to today's interview? I, I would say, yes, live in the moment. And a key takeaway, and that's probably because it's very relevant for me as an individual too, is really listen well. We don't do that well. We don't do that well, do we? It's so tough. It's it's so tough to really listen well, and and be able to give back to the person that you are listening to and finding out whether you were listening well, or whether you didn't really get it. Yeah. And and I think that's that's something which is essential for collaboration too. Listen really well. It's an essential start, and it's a creative path too when we do that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the Do One Better podcast. I'm glad we persevere with the scheduling uh, and the time difference. And uh, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person, hopefully for a coffee at some point in the not too distant future. Sure. Thanks so much, Alberto. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure seeing you again. I'll reach out. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Henry Van Egan. For information about this episode and nearly 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you are not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable experience producing today's show for you. I hope you found it insightful, enjoyable, and hopefully it's leading you to embrace the collaborative spirit even more than you might be doing so already. So for all those reasons, thank you. And I'm very much looking forward to catching up with you next week.